Welcome back to the Host Dispatch, and welcome to Adventures in Cover Design Woo! with Anar Verold. Hey, this is like a road trip, but on a <laughs> on a podcast. Yes. Um, we wanted to start a new series in which I interview Anar and pick her brain about cover design because she's our brilliant designer and we get so many compliments on our book covers, especially for the chapbook prize. And so we want to make this a little mini series. And I think today we're going to focus on specifically the question of inspiration. How does that sound? Oh, that sounds like so much fun. Um, obviously, I'm very happy to be here in all capacities on the podcast and at host publications. But I'm really happy that we can make these Adventures in Book Design episodes because it's such a beautiful art. And I love what Small Press is doing mm -hmm. um, in terms of book covers because, you know, books, especially now when you can download a lot of great books on your Kindle or on your iPad, the book is an object. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's inside is absolutely the most important. But when you're done with a book, like, I leave my gorgeous books out, you know? Oh, yeah. A great cover does so much for a book. It obviously does help sell a book. People will just gravitate towards those beautiful covers. And we all maybe have different preferences, but I think when there's like a banger of a cover, it speaks to most people. And those books get picked up first. That's just mm -hmm. the way it works. And you're right. Once you already own a book, if it has a beautiful cover, it is going to be one that you want to put on display or that you might not be too embarrassed <laughs> to share with people. I definitely have a lot of books that I love on my shelves that I don't really love the cover of. Um, and that's a bummer, but I still love those books just the same. But it's something really special when I both love the book and I also feel really proud of owning this beautiful art object um, when the cover is really cool. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, you know, both of us also moonlight as as booksellers. And it's undeniable the power of a cover. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we always say that bullshit artists has kind of a mystical or like an enchanting quality because people will see it from across the room, like at a conference center or like at a market and like float to it mm -hmm. so yeah and hopefully like that will open up a conversation about color <laughs> that we can have yeah. later you know and yeah. and this is why we wanted to do the the series for adventures in book design because there's just so much to unpack mm -hmm. at the root of it it's graphic design um but when you're designing a book like let's just dive in let's start with inspiration the content informs the cover and you want to make sure that it it makes sense um, that the cover really lets the reader know what to anticipate or the mood that they're about to step into. Yeah, I find that really interesting because not every book cover that you design is necessarily related to the specific content of the book. Like, 
For example, 16 Rabbits has a rabbit on the cover. No one needs to know anything else about that chapbook to know that there's a link there. But other books, um, like Sequoia Maynard's Little Girl Blue poems, that is a more tangentially related cover to the content. It's not a direct one-to-one ratio. So I'm interested to hear about how you do interact with the content, especially when you're not just going to take an image from the actual poems or from the book title to to use for the cover. How do you feel like that relationship comes through? Yeah, I do want to mention that like with all of our books and book design, we do want to make the author feel extremely connected to the cover as if they have like a huge um, say in the direction that it goes. I, I always request, you know, there's the work that I read as many times through as I can. Mm-hmm. And then we usually ask, like, what are book covers that resonated with you? And do you have a Pinterest of, like, images and colors that came to you when you were writing this project? So it all kind of begins to swirl around there. But yeah, there's this, like, beauty to graphic design that I can only relate to what it's like to write a poem. Mm. And you start out with like, you know, the first draft, the husk, and you slowly refine it to where you get to the kernel of the seed. And so the first batch of mock-ups that no one often sees can be this really straightforward images from the book. Or images that, you know, were from the Pinterest. Things that Mm -hmm. have been supplied to me. And then through a lot of, you know, meditation and reflection and play, things slowly start to take their own shape. And then it just, like, clicks in the way that, like, when you know that a poem is done, Mm -hmm. you're just, like, satisfied. Which I will say... I often don't know when a poem is done, to be perfectly honest. I feel like a poem for me is something that could be edited and revised into infinity, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> and I wonder if you ever have that sensation as well, where you you know that you have a complete design, but you still feel like you want to tinker more with it or could if you were allotted the time um, and the space to do that forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Absolutely. I I will say that, like, thank God for deadlines in both poetry, in film, in cover design, graphic design, because that tells you when you have to stop. (laughs) And usually that's when that's around the time that you're ready to move on from the poem or the image. Um, So, yes, I'm very grateful that I've been told that I have to stop because we have to (laughs) announce the cover. But I will yeah. say that every cover that has been finalized, I'm like, okay, it's done. Yeah. It, it does feel complete. Well, I guess going back to like the beginning of the process, I know you get a lot of material from our authors that you, like you said, your their Pinterest board or other covers that they like, inspo that comes directly from them. But when you're first sitting down and you need to start like gathering resources, whether that is like 
photographs or um, sketches or images or colors, whatever you're going to start throwing in the pile to start, you know, collaging together in the design process. What are some of your usual suspects uh, in terms of inspiration, like where do you go to find those moving pieces? Okay, so I love this question because... Tell us all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I I love sharing all of my secrets um, because I feel like sharing secrets makes the world much better. Yep. You know, if this elevates the art of book design or just excites someone, that brings me a lot of joy. But... You know, I look back at like when I designed Fernando's book cover and, you know, I do want to just say that I'm just so grateful to Joe for giving me just so much space and trust Mm -hmm. to explore the things that I was really passionate about, but didn't have a space to explore and to fail, like Mm -hmm. fail so much and freely and with joy, um, And he would be like, that's really ugly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I, yeah, I loved that because, um, you know, even like years ago, I would be like, no, this was beautiful. And now I'm like, oh, my God, like, thank God that wasn't the cover. Hmm. But I wouldn't have that space to explore my passion for graphic design and typography and and to play. And that's what this is at the end of the day. And what I think so many things should be mm-hmm. uh, is is play and exploration. Yeah, which is another way of saying that you were learning. You were learning how to do graphic design as you did it. Mm-hmm. So this is all to say, first of all, thank you to Joe. Mm-hmm. And this is all to say that I started out really scrappy with very little resources that it was just me and my camera just playing with color, with colors on my, on like a terrible free app that I found on my phone. Which like color plus photographs, that's an infinite number of combinations of covers you could make with just those two elements. But I know there are many, many more now that you yeah. have access to. And, and you know, that's not, yeah, like... Uh, you know, at first, just now, I was kind of embarrassed to be like, I didn't have any resources. But I think that is the beauty of like, if you have it in you, if you have this drive and a passion for mm-hmm. creating, like, you really don't need a bunch of tools. That's right. And yeah, that cover that was Fernando's iconic cover that people just instantly recognize. Mm-hmm. Um was made with my iPad. <laughs> nice. I took a picture on my iPad and I played with a color app and I loved that gradient, that color combination, um, the green and the pink. And those were all just like things that kind of stemmed from the, you know, strange parts of my brain. Um, and it complemented the work. But over the years, I've become this <laughs> kind of like a hoarder and very passionate um, hoarder for like art books and um, very passionate about browsing, you know, not only visiting museums in person, but the pandemic has encouraged a lot of museums to create online 
virtual tours. Mm -hmm. So I love to see what I can dig up. My favorite just being the Rijk Museum in the Netherlands because they have a lot of art that they strongly encourage people to play with. Yeah. It's free. It's all free and downloadable Mm -hmm. fairly easily, correct? Very easily. Extremely high quality. Mm -hmm. So like museums are a great source for inspiration. We'll put a link to that museum in the description because I've seen it spelled. It's really hard to spell (laughs) and really hard to say, but we'll definitely link people to it. Yes. And yeah, and it's, you know, it's not only this museum, it's several museums. So if I can find some resources, I will maybe even create a blog post because it's such a delight to witness some incredible art that I might not be able to see otherwise. Mm -hmm. And that opens up your possibilities for design in a a wild Mm -hmm. way, even just the cover you just finished working on for Sophia Stid's chapbook, But For I Am a Woman, uses a tiny corner of a Vermeer painting that you might not even notice. Like our copy editor couldn't figure out where that came from on the painting because it was such a small part of it. And then thinking about that as a resource where you have access to all of these paintings, all of these artists' work, all the tiny little corners of all of these canvases that you can crop a small image from and then use in some way, creative way on the cover is really exciting. Yeah, it's truly a delight. Um, And these images that are downloadable, they're extremely high quality. And so like, if you just want to zoom in on a lady's hand who is like in a sea of people, it's heavenly is the only word I can find for that. It's truly just like, just beautiful. Mm. But uh, (laughs) so, you know, that's a major resource that I've been tapping into recently. I also want to say that some of my favorite book cover designers, Peter Mendelssohn has this really great, a series of books, um, one of them being like the look of the book. Nice. And I really, I really do just love like reading about the history of book design. Um, I tend to be passionate about more vintage styles. And that's kind of why they have this old, <laughs> old aesthetic. Yeah. I remember at one of the book fairs that we worked, someone was like, so are these just like vintage books that you like bought and are selling here? And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. What other graphic design books that are like your go-to resources or? Yeah. I think I shared with you once. So this was my very first graphic design book. Um, mm-hmm. So just in case anyone at all feels compelled or drawn to graphic design. I want to say that this is how I was introduced to graphic design. I was a university student at St. Edwards, and I had gone away for a couple of years. I I needed space, and I needed some time off from school. And when I came back, I was like two years older than everyone, at least. And <laughs> it's like something happened when I was gone, that like technology just advanced Mm -hmm. in a way that felt intimidating to me. You know, at that time, I didn't have the resources for a laptop, so I didn't own a laptop. 
until I was an adult, like out of college. I I think I had a flip phone. <laughs> nice. Yep. <laughs> um, and I just didn't have technology. And I mm-hmm. walked into a class that was called production design. And it was about graphic design for English majors. And honestly, thank God for Beth Ekman. I don't think she's listening, but she was my incredible production design instructor. And everything that I learned in there is what I've brought to host. And that was the one class that truly was worth my education. Yeah, that's amazing. Did you have the ability to work on um, computers at the school to start? Yes. So this was... This was a class in a computer lab, okay. and most of these kids were English majors with graphic design minors, and I was extremely intimidated, and, you know, I was entering this space with a lot of shame and baggage and, mm. you know, struggling through depression, and mm-hmm. um, I remember just talking to my instructor and being like, I don't think that I can do this, and she was like, I think you can. And I went from being the most embarrassingly worst student to being the most promising student Mm. by the end of the semester. And I was really proud of myself by the end. But the way that I got there was I played. I played and I was curious. And that's what you have to do with, with images and graphic design, but also the software that is used to make digital art. Um, and that was what I feel like separated me from, from others is that I became obsessive about, I'd see an image that I knew that I could make and I would want to kind of crack that code. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, brings us back to like being inspired by others and looking up to and admiring the work that others are doing, like in book design, like Peter Mendelssohn at new directions, um, stuff like that. (laughs) Well, and it sounds like inspiration is not just the jumping off point for a project, but it's like the engine that drives the project is that you're inspired to continue playing and tweaking and moving things around and exploring and just seeing what's possible. Um, I love that. I love that because I definitely don't, when it comes to poetry, for example, I don't love the idea that we need to sit around and wait to be inspired. I think inspiration is something that you can make more of an action. Like you can actively be inspired by just taking what's in your reach and start putting things together. And then eventually the inspiration engine starts moving yes. um, instead of just waiting around to get struck by lightning all the time, you know, <laughs> as we like to do as artists. Yes. And that's so important to note because like, you know, I spent a lot of my my youth um, kind of waiting in front of a blank sheet of paper. And it's like, no, like you do have to drive. You have to find it within yourself to push yourself forward. It takes a little bit of courage, a little bit of fearlessness that the things that are in your reach that you're going to use to get that engine going might not look good at first, you know, it just might not be good at first. You have to be, like you said, willing to fail, Mm -hmm. which I just see as willing to learn because the failure is just a way for you to see what doesn't work so that you can understand better what does. Yeah. And 
And, you know, you've seen how many mock-ups I make. And, you know, the ones that don't make it, those are considered failures, even though you and I would say that there were were perfectly fine. Gorgeous. I mean, some of the (laughs) images you have created that haven't become covers are some of my favorites and lots and Mm -hmm. lots of gorgeous pieces. In fact, we really need to look into how to how to get those in a blog post or how to print some and hang them in the office because I think that they shouldn't just wash away into non-existence after after this process. They're such a cool part of the process. Yeah, and and that is, you know, I'm so happy to hear that because, you know, I do find a lot of delight and pride in all of the things I create, even the embarrassed, like going back and seeing some of the ugly things I've made, I'm just like... I understand the the mood and the thought. It's like a little time capsule mm-hmm. of my interior self. And yeah, I feel like that same goes. I mean, there's so many parallels between all arts, um, but poetry and graphic design. Yeah, I could definitely see the the link there. Did I answer your question? Yeah, you definitely did. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. Okay, so books, websites, driven by the inner self and being inspired by artists that are doing things and that inspire you and that you feel akin to. Or if you feel like you're in that lineage, I think that's always important to to align yourself with masters that you really admire and remember that you're part of a bigger story. Um, so understanding the history of of book design has been a huge revelation to me. Um, But going back to the inner self, I want to mention that tarot has been this really gorgeous companion this past year when I've been designing book covers. And, you know, most recently, my favorite deck is to use Ethel Calhoun's Tarot as Color, Mm -hmm. which is from Folger Press out in the UK. And oh my gosh, you know, when you think about images and color as much as I do, that deck really, you can look at it and understand certain feelings that you can't even put a word to. Right. (laughs) Um, But, you know, and then I wonder like, is this a feeling that I find in these poems? What colors can I play with? What images does this evoke? Um, and so if I'm stuck, the deck is right there to kind of respawn <laughs> my thoughts. Yeah. I'm so glad that you got into tarot in the last year um, because I would always want to talk to you about it. <laughs> Um, in the old days and didn't want to sound like a total weirdo. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that using a tarot deck as creative inspiration is why I came to it in the first place as a poet. And it just makes sense that you would be able to draw inspiration from tarot as a graphic designer or as a book designer, um, because those cards, the images on them, each one is its own little piece of artwork that also tells some kind of a story. But that story is completely different based on the context in which you pull the card, what other cards are around it, what your mood is that day, what you're asking the deck, if you're asking it anything. Um, 
And I, I love that tarot as color deck that you have with those gorgeous gradient. Um, they almost look like watercolors to me, the mm-hmm. way the the different colors sort of blend in and out of each individual card. But yeah, have you used that deck for any projects recently? Is there like a way in which you've correlated like something from a card from that deck to a piece that you're working on? Yeah, so nothing successful <laughs> quite yet. But Mm -hmm. if you remember some of Sophia Stid's mock-ups, the more abstract pieces were definitely inspired by the tarot as color deck. You know, the ones that kind of look like auras Mm -hmm. or nebulas. And I loved those. I think those are successful, even though they didn't become the final cover. Yeah. You know, and exploring the tarot is color deck and using color as a meditative tool mm. and then seeing what then at the end of my meditation is the complete image that I create mm-hmm. that has led me down this really beautiful path of like mystical art um, and finding that there's some writers that are mystical painters as well. Like, Frank Andre Jam, he has this really beautiful book of tantric art that I absolutely cherish. And obviously, like Leonora Carrington, <laughs> Remedio Varos, Ethel Calhoun was an artist as well. So there's this tarot and art and color and writing have had a history together. That's true. And so I'm part of that lineage now. It it feels so, yeah, that I would say that that is one of my favorite tools to use now Mm. is the tarot deck. Yeah. Thinking about what you said a minute ago, color as meditation, um, the two books that come to mind are both about the color blue, of course, but um, I wonder if there are more. But that's another kind of idea that writers explore in some really lyrical, unexpected ways. Mm. Uh, Of course, we all know Bluets by Maggie Nelson, but I just started last night, actually, I just started reading On Being Blue by William H. Gass, which is an NYRB title. And it's blowing my mind already, and I just started it. So uh, that's what it feels like to me, though, is it feels like a meditation on color and not just the color itself, but the associations with that color and also the language around that color, the sort of texture and quality of the language, not necessarily even the meaning of all the words that we associate with the color blue. And yeah, it's it's really interesting how meaning and and color can be sort of refracted in the same ways. I think that that relationship is really interesting too, and definitely ripe for, for meditating on. Absolutely. And, you know, I want color to be its own episode because Mm. color, color is everything. Um, Color is going to be its own episode. (laughs) But uh, yeah, you know, even when I meditate on my own, I find that yellow is my color that brings me inner peace and comfort. And so, yeah, I just love when you sit with the Ethel Calhoun tarot spread and look at it one by one, you can see there's some violent images. There's some hopeful 
images and mm-hmm. they're, they're just colors to the unassuming eye. Yeah. But when you can really just ask what these colors are doing in relation to each other or how they're laid out on the on the painting, it it really changes everything. Yeah. Well, I know that you can find your initial inspiration anywhere. Um, some some pretty unlikely places. Uh, I was wondering if you could share what some of the weirdest places have been that you've <sighs> dug up inspiration from for either successful cover options or or any piece that you've worked on. Okay, I'm really excited that you ask this because <laughs> I am always really amused. So, you know, there's tons of strange places and artwork that, you know, most people won't see. But the Water Inaudible book cover really delights me because yes. it's like this little secret that the image on that cover is the window <laughs> in the women's restroom. <laughs> At the Paramount Theater. Oh my God, I forgot about that. And oh wow, I was just moved by this window pane one day when I, I believe this is the same day, but <laughs> I was watching 2001: A Space Odyssey, and lots of bathroom breaks in there. Lots of bathroom breaks, and I remember I was supposed to be at the Malvern Books pool party, but. I neither swim or party. So (laughs) I was like, I'll roll in three hours late. (laughs) And so I remember I had somewhere to be. And I was like, just staring at this window pane. Like I had nowhere to be. (laughs) I just couldn't believe how beautiful it was. (laughs) So I took a photograph. I think I took a photograph on my iPad. So it's not even like my fancy cameras or anything. It was just on the iPad. And that was, it was the first cover that I showed Stephanie. It was the only cover that I needed to make. Yeah. And so. Well, it has a gorgeous color gradient as well that was superimposed that mm -hmm. elevates it even, even more. And then it's also, if I remember correctly, it were, were cropped. So it's like one pane Mm -hmm. out of a multi-paned window, but it is so beautiful. It's such a great cover too, because it tricks your eye a little bit. If you don't know that you're looking at a window pane where it has one of those old school locks, like those little metal locks in the center of the pane on the cover, it looks like we're actually looking at water because of the color gradient and that the little lock is a boat on the water. Mm -hmm. So there's this wonderful optical illusion to this one reason why I love that cover is because maybe if you looked at it long enough, you would realize that you were looking at a window pane, but it's a little bit unclear and it provides so much opportunity for interpretation. And I, I love that. I love an image that can be seen in so many different ways that it's difficult to define. How perfect is that for Stephanie's book, too? Mm-hmm. It's perfect for her poetry. Yeah, that's a great cover. I love that it's a bathroom window. <laughs> Gosh. And as you know, that has a lot of meaning to me. The Paramount is like a second home. So, mm-hmm. you know, and then this brings up the conversation of what is an image with text on it, which is what is often a book cover. And Mm -hmm. the way that the language on the cover informs 
the image because we have a title that says from the water and audible. And so people will anticipate seeing water and yes. seeing a boat and seeing all of these things that evoke the language around water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that question though. I was, I just get such a kick out of it. <laughs> yes. It's another one where I feel like we're getting your secrets, um, which is what we're all here for. <laughs> um, well, I think that's all the questions I had for you. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? I think more than anything, I just want everyone, if you've, first of all, if you've listened this far, I'm fairly embarrassed <laughs> and grateful. Um, <laughs> but if you really are drawn to graphic design or just making any art, it could be literally any art that, you know, there's learning curves and there's definitely, there's some rules when you go to the printers that you have to follow, but you can ask questions when you get to that point. Um, mm -hmm. But if you just want to make something and you're like, I'm old or I'm dumb or everybody has Mac computers <laughs> and I don't, there's so much shame or intimidation that can come with mm. stepping into art that feels impossible to enter. You just start doing it and you just have fun and mm -hmm. no one can hate anything that you're just so excited about. And, you know, and someone could be like, oh, my God, but that's so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's OK, because. 99% of the things that exist are really terrible and ugly, but it's that 1% that you get to show people. We have to write some bad poems to get to our good poems, and I'm sure you have to yeah. make some bad art to get to your good art. It's just part of it. Um, but you're right. No one should listen to their limiting voices in their heads and, yeah, just just do it. Just do Use it. Use what you got. Yeah. And that's where inspiration really begins. It's less like inner joy and drive coming together and then doing something with it. Absolutely. Well said. Yay. That's a wrap on our very first Adventures in Book Design. Thank you for having me, Claire. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>